Oh, man. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've got some people in my life that sometimes they, they say the strangest things. Like, like, you know, those people, it's like you, it's, you just tell someone else who's new to them. You have to know them a little bit to understand what they're saying. I don't know if you've ever received, a, they're termed backhanded compliments, like things that when you hear them, you're like, I'm not sure if I should be saying thank you or if I should be angry at you right now. Uh, I mean, some of them kind of go, go like this, like, I would love to spend every minute of every day with you, but some days I actually have to get stuff done. It's like, that's sweet, but... <laughs> Am I an inconvenience or, you know, I love your outfit. It totally makes you look thinner than you really are. Like, what do you do with that when someone says something like that, that to you? Or this is a really good picture of you. It actually makes you look handsome. Hmm, uh, I, I love what you've done with your bald spot. Like, <laughs> guys, it's, it's always nice when people comment on the hair going away, isn't it? This is a funny one that's pretty close to my, my personal life here. Um, it's a quote my wife is famous for saying after she first met me. Uh, she said this to her mom. She said, I could never date that guy. <laughs> we see how that, she didn't say she couldn't marry me. She just said she couldn't date me. Um, it, it's funny, you know, people say things, and when you only have, like, that one sentence, it's like, oh, that, that, that's harsh. Like, that, that's, that person is just a harsh person. But when you have a relationship with them, and you know what they've said in a greater context of who they are, it changes the way that you understand what they've said. And quite honestly, you could grab some sound bites of things that Jesus said, and if you didn't know the whole story of who he was, you'd be like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Like when Jesus says, you know, if anyone wants any part of me, they have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, okay, where is this storyline going? Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's in there, and he's talking about communion, and he's talking about being part of us. And, and it's this reality that the goal isn't that we memorize one concept about who Jesus is, but we really need to get to know his story, and we really need to get to know him as a person. And that might sound weird, but the truth is that even today, you can still get to know Jesus as a person. And it happens in a couple different ways. One of the ways is by reading his story and his words and the ways that he taught and the ways that he interacted with people and you'll get this sense for the person he is and the way that he loved and the way that he gave tough love, the way that he instructed other people. It's important for us to read those stories. But another way that we get to know him personally is by putting what he said to the test. Living out the things that he's called us to live out and seeing the way that he interacts with our life today. Because the truth is, he still will interact with you today. And he will still lead you and teach you and guide you today. And, and, and his promise to us is that he'll never leave us or forsake him, us while we follow him. And there's these promises that, that, are, that are written in scripture that are things that have to be lived out and to be tried to really get to know who he is as a person. And that's kind of the heartbeat of where we're going today. We're continuing our series. If this is your, your first week with us here, we're on a series that's called 50 Days with Jesus. And from the start of it, we have about 50 days till Easter. And the challenge is to follow this reading plan where you're getting the teachings and the story and the life of Christ so that we can get to know him better as a person. And we looked early on at the circumstance at the beginning of his ministry. Last week was about the temptations that he walked through. And we're getting into the, the beginnings of him calling his disciples here. And we have this, this interaction that happens in Luke. And it's a little different than the Matthew presentation of it because Luke provides a few extra details that Matthew didn't include. 
And so we get into the passage here today, and if you have your Bible, you can open up and follow along. We'll, of course, present the words on the screen as well, so you can read along as I read it to you. Um, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the the nets down again. This is kind of a funny moment in an interaction with the person of Christ because we see it through the historical lens, knowing all of who he is, all that he did, the miracles that he did, the wisdom that he displayed, the fact that he was victorious over death and rose from the grave. We know all these things. So when we look at this interaction, there's kind of a comical sense of like, Peter, I don't know if saying, if you say so, to Jesus is really the right interaction. But, but Peter is looking at this circumstance And he's saying, okay, rabbi guy, carpenter guy, I just fished all night. And I don't know if you know anything about fishing, but fishing, as the sun is coming out and getting hotter, it's the wrong time to fish. And not only did I just fish all night, we got nothing to show for it. And here we are finishing up what is our day's work as the day's beginning, and we're cleaning out our nets, we're removing the tears, we're fixing the tears, we're removing any rocks or debris that got caught in there. And and our nets are all clean and ready for tomorrow night. And here you are asking me to do something that's illogical. Like this is not the right time. It's apparently not the right day for fishing. But there's part of them said, but but if you say so, even though everything you're telling me to do is wrong, if you say so, I'll give it a shot. I'll do it. And it's an interesting situation because Peter is interacting with Jesus with this level of unbelief. Like this level of, like, I don't think you really know what you're talking about, but you're the authority here, so I'll walk through it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it so I can say I told you so later when I show you that you're wrong. This isn't the way to do it, Jesus. You've got this wrong. And this is interesting because in, in our present day, so much of our interaction with God, so much of our interaction with church or, or things of the spiritual, there's this sense within us that says, once I kind of get all of my stuff figured out, then I'll kind of start moving towards doing the things that God has asked me to do. But, but there's an interesting thing, even though that, you know, there, there's this level of unbelief, Peter kind of gives the qualification, I'll still do it, even though... I know that it's not going to work, even though I don't think it's going to work, even though I wouldn't normally do it this way. And and when it comes to following Jesus, I want to kind of start in this place because it it feels counterintuitive, but it makes so much biblical sense as you look through stories, and it really makes common sense when we really stop to think about it, that when we have this sense in in our heart that it's like, man, I don't know if I'm mature enough to do this thing, but I feel like I should do it. But I don't feel like I'm spiritually mature enough. And so what I'm going to do is even though I feel like I should do that, I'm not spiritually mature enough. And so I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back from the place that I should be going in my faith. Because I don't really feel qualified to go there yet. Because of my unbelief. Because I have unanswered questions. Because there's things I haven't figured out. Because there's habits that I still have. And so my unbelief is going to restrict me from going to that place with God that I feel like I maybe should go. There's that that sense that we get. 
But, but I want to tell you, your, your unbelief that you have, it doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. And this is the first point. Unbelief doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. And, and the reason I say that is because as we look at the way that Jesus invited people to follow him, from the beginning, their invitation to, to enter this relationship uh, of following Christ, they were in this position of unbelief at the beginning. But the thing that helps people work through unbelief is putting what God says to the test. Because there's an element of it that is, is knowledge of saying, okay, first we have to understand who God is. First we need to understand what God wants from us, and, and then we can respond to that. But once we understand, the, the, the deeper place to go is actually putting it to the practice, putting it to the test. And so unbelief, entering into these situations where we say, God, I'm not sure about what you're saying. I'm not sure about if it will work out. Stepping into obedience anyway, that's what actually answers those questions. God, I'm not sure if I should you know, serve like this, but once you step into serving and you realize, man, my heart was designed to do it this way. My heart was designed to pour out into other people, even though I feel like I'm still partially empty, but when I pour out into other people, it starts to fill me up. It's like God actually knew what he was talking about. When he said I should put others first, when I, should, when I should do unto others as I would want them to do for me. Like when he said that, it's like he knew something. He knew something about the way my mind works. And even when I felt like I don't have the energy to serve, when I go out and do it, it actually energizes me. You know, obedience is actually often the, the answer to our unbelief. Because we, get, we, we find more evidence, we find that, that, that God is true. And it's interesting, as Jesus was you know, so invitational with people who were, who were outcasts to the church of that day, to the synagogue, to the temple, to the Jewish system. Whether it was people who, who were Jewish or people who were Samaritan, these people who were not welcomed in, he invited them and they had all pro kinds of problems in their beliefs. They had false beliefs that were in there at the beginning, but as they followed Jesus, those things kind of worked themselves out. And so one of the th things that I'd just say is practical as well, that when we're thinking about being invitational, when God puts it on our heart to invite someone into this community called Gulfside Church, we don't need to be looking for people who, first of all, we don't need to be looking for people who already have church homes. It's great if they have a different church home. Our heartbeat is not to get everybody in this place. Our heartbeat is to help everyone find a church home within this region. But when we're invitational, we want to look for those people who it's like, man, they, they, they don't believe anything at all yet. Or, or they've been away from God and far from God for a while because, because of life situations or business, whatever. They've kind of slid away from everything. Those are the people we want to bring in. And, and they might come in and they might have things that they're not accepting yet about God. But as they begin to trust him and take these small steps of obedience, we'll get to see God do great things in their life. Just the way that he worked in our life when we were in that position. Because we all come from a position of unbelief. We all come from a position where we had to grow in our understanding of God. You weren't born as a Christian. You may have been raised in a Christian family and you learned to trust him from a young age. But we all have to learn to trust in God. And one of the other interesting things about inviting other people in, as we approach Easter, man, I, I'm going to be talking to you guys because this is such an opportune time. There, there, there's so many people who respond to an Easter invitation. Studies have shown actually 8 out of 10 people will say yes to an invitation to come to an Easter service with you. Eight out of ten. That's higher than it is any time throughout the rest of the year. And I'll tell you, especially if they have young kids here at Gulfside Church, we're going to do the helicopter Easter egg drop again for the kids. It's going to be an amazing Sunday. And, and ten out of ten kids will say they want to come to that. 
So if they have young kids in their family, they're an easy one to draw into the church. And 11 out of 10 kids, they can actually drag their parents to church. I've experienced this. The statistic doesn't even make sense. I just made that up, 11 out of 10. But it's true. Kids have this ability to bring their parents into what's good for them because if you've ever had a kid do something to you the way that my kids do, it's like, hey, why don't we go eat McDonald's for for dinner? Dad, I think we should probably eat something healthier than that. Whose kid are you? (laughs) Like, don't say things like that. But when we have a child who's saying, hey, we should do something healthier, we should do something better, parents respond to that. And it's not that kids always are the best source of advice, but it's the truth in our culture that when it comes to invitations, that if kids want to go, they bring their parents with them. And so we are being intentional about that in the way that we do our Easter. We're doing something to draw kids in because it's going to draw parents in. It's going to draw friends of the family in. And our heartbeat is to be a church that reaches out to our city. And, you know, I've had my kids give me instructions from, like, where they wanted to go to, you know, other things. And you definitely have to filter what your kids say because I'll be working on something at the house. And my daughter, one of my daughters when she was younger, will come over and be like, Dad, all you have to do to fix that is, and I'm like, what is this four-year-old about to tell me about how to fix something? You just have to put the key in there and turn it. I'm like, well, first of all, that's an electrical outlet. And second of all, your key is a carrot, so I don't think either one of those are going to make much sense for, you know, this practical situation. Um, You know, advice, unwarranted, uninvited advice is usually not well received, and and we see this happen in lots of ways. And kind of back to, to the passage, we see Jesus, who was a carpenter by training and now entering to the stage of being a rabbi and a teacher, giving Peter advice about fishing. And Peter responded to it about as grateful, about as humbly as someone who just worked all night and caught nothing could respond to it. And he said, you know, I have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but, it, but if you say so, if you say so, I'll give it a try. But you know what, Jesus, you probably, you haven't done much fishing, so you, you probably don't understand. But if you say so, you know, it won't work for me to parent that way that, that Scripture says, um, but if you say so, it it won't work for me to be that kind of spouse. You don't know what my relationship is. I can't be what the Bible describes as that kind of spouse. Um, but if you say so, it won't work for me to think that way, but if you say so. There, there's so many areas of our heart and our mind that kind of get off track in the way that we should live. And I would really love to see us adopt this, if you say so, Jesus mindset. Of being in a place where it's like, I'm not sure that that will work. But if you say so, I'll try it. I'm not sure if this will line up with, with the way that my workplace is, but if you say so, Jesus, I'll, I'll try to be that. I'm not sure if it'll work in, in the way that my field is for me to talk the way that you've called me to talk, but if you say so. And church, I want, I want to challenge you because I know there's so many things and, and you know, I, I, we, we can find all the toes, you know, it can be giving, it can be serving, it, it can be, you know, our quiet times with God, our family relationships. There's all kinds of sensitive toes out there to step out on, on this topic. But whatever it is right now that God's calling on you to progress on, to mature in, even if you'd say, I don't think that will work. I want to encourage you to have a, you know what, if you say so, I'll test it out. If you say so, even in my unbelief, I'll give it a try. And it's interesting, especially in the life of Peter, because we have the ability to look through his life and the way that he lived and how God worked through him. He doesn't have any clue at this point how much is at stake with his yes. 
Because here he is before he's responded to the invitation to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, will you go out and do this? Will, will, will you take, take me out to the water? And, or will you go out in the water and drop your net again? And, and, and there's this invitation to do it. And he says, okay, if you say so. And then we're going to pick it up back to verse 6. And, and it says, you know, so, so they, went, they went out in verse 5 and then in verse 6. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. It's a good thing they were mending and cleaning those nets at the beginning because they had no clue how much God was about, about to do as far as catching fish goes. And it's interesting because, and here, men, you can, you can try to cash this check with your wives. Um, Peter had this amazing spiritual breakthrough moment because of fishing. I might need to go fishing more. That's how Peter had his breakout moment. I need to get out on the boat. You know, that wouldn't have happened if Peter didn't own a boat. We should own a boat. Um, I, I've heard it said that, you know, the best two days in a boat owner's life is the day they buy it and the day they sell it. Um, so that may not be the answer to your problems. But we see this situation where, where Peter is out and he's in this moment and he has this interaction because if you think this story is just about catching fish, you're missing the point. The point of the story isn't that the nets were filled with fish. The point of the story is that when Peter was asked by Jesus to do something, God showed up in the results. And when he looked at Jesus, he saw Jesus in a brand new and different way. When he chose to be obedient to do something that he, you know, did not think was going to work, it, it did something new. And I, I, I will kind of relate this because he had this amazing worshipful moment where, like, he saw Jesus so much more clearly. And, and I want to say, you know, it was right after a church service. Jesus was just preaching to a whole big group of people. But he was away. And, and I love when we have these moments of intense, like, spiritual breakthrough in worship off by ourselves, away from the gathering. That, that's a great thing to do. Some guys, they do go fishing because it's a great time for them to pray and connect with God. Um, I, I've had people kind of make the excuse, like, I don't go to church because I worship God out here on my own, and it's, and it's better for me. It's, it's, I connect better with God when I'm away from all the people, and that's great. But I want to I wanna tell you guys, if you didn't realize this, the gathering of the church is about more than just worship of God. Not, I mean, like, in the way of, like, just our heart connecting to him in, in, in fellowship and hearing and learning something. The gathering of the church is actually supposed to be more than that. And, and so, even in those times of where we find these breakthrough moments, the gathering of the church is actually, like, Paul describes it as a body. Be, because we're supposed to work for each other. We're supposed to work with each other. We're supposed to encourage each other. Encouragement and, and speaking from the word and praying for for each other, it's not just supposed to come from the pastor to the people, but it's supposed to be the people all together. And, and you know this even if you haven't really thought about it, because when you go to a church, your real hope is, man, when I, want, when I step in there, I hope people are friendly. I hope I don't feel like I have to sit alone. I hope I don't get weird looks for the way that I'm dressed. I, I hope that I can fit in there. I hope someone talks to me afterwards. I hope that the church does its job and loves other people. 
And so, you know, I hope you have incredible moments of worship and spiritual understanding and these breakthrough moments off by yourself, just between you and Jesus. But the, the need of the church altogether is to encourage each other. And so don't, don't begin to buy into a lie that leads you to isolation, loneliness, and eventually, honestly, spiritual despair of being alone. We need each other, and we need to have, have these moments on our own, but also with other people. And so Peter, in this situation where he, he had this incredible spiritual breakthrough because he caught a bunch of fish, because he saw that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And his reaction, after realizing who Jesus was, was, will you please, will you please go? Because I am a, I'm a sinful person. And there's a reaction in his heart that said, men of God, leaders in the faith, God himself, they want nothing to do with a sinful person like me. I'm far too broken. I just doubted him. I just, I just said, you know, it's not going to work, but if you say so, we'll try it. Like, I don't deserve to have you around me. And if there's been a, a spiritual objection in your heart of saying yes to God because of your past, I, I want to tell you, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. This is the second point. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, I'll take that a step further. It doesn't disqualify you from Jesus. It's actually, it is a prerequisite to following Jesus. That's the truth. To be someone who follows Christ, you have to be aware of the fact that you need him. To be someone who follows Christ, you have to be aware of the fact that that without his love, without his forgiveness, without the work of his life and his death on the cross, that you would have no access to the Father. The whole message of the gospel is the truth that we can't do it on our own and we need him. We need his extravagant love that does not make sense to us. And so if you've been saying, you know what, I don't deserve to talk to God and I'm not going to open myself up to what I feel like he's wanting to do in my life because I've done so many bad things, that's a terrible excuse because that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we're messed up, that we can't do it on, on our own, but he loves us so much that he sent his son anyway. That is the message. And don't let the lie of I've been too broken, I've been too hurt because of things other people have done, because of things that I've done, because of the situation I I was raised up in, because of what the church did to me before, none of those excuses are valid. Brokenness is part of the story. And and I love the way that Jesus reacts. You know, Peter finishes up and says, you know, I'm such a sinful man. And then in verse, verse 9, it continues and it says, For he, Peter, was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Check out Jesus' reply. Peter's objection, I'm too sinful. My past is too messed up. I can't, I can't be around you. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, I always think it's important to include some context because we read that and we're like, oh man, they left everything. That was epic. And there, there is some truth to that. 
But I also want to tell you about the invitation that Jesus gave them. To be invited by a rabbi to follow him, that, that was like an invitation like, to come be an executive at Apple. Like, that was an invitation to be amongst the exclusive. Because to follow a rabbi, that, that means that was the line you were going in. And you had to be educated further than anyone else that day. You had to be more knowledgeable about the law and about the prophets and about the poetry that's in what we call the Old Testament. You had to be more knowledgeable about that than any of the others. It was an elite position to be someone who followed a rabbi. So it was an exclusive, ridiculous invitation to be handed to a self-proclaimed sinful man who was a fisherman, who was not educated to the necessary level. He was being asked to join something that he was unqualified to do. Peter's objection, my past is too, too messed up. Jesus' invitation, I'm bringing you to something that you would never deserve to do by man's standards, and I'm going to do more through your future than you would have imagined. Our excuses before Jesus are met with greater plans than we would have ever bestowed upon ourselves. And so if within your heart you've been kind of giving God the no, I I can't do that because, you know, I have this unbelief. I have these questions that I still have. I'm not asking you to just ignore your questions. I'm not asking you to forget about the doubts that you have. What I'm telling you is, That if you begin to try what he has said, if you begin to put to practice the teachings that he's given us, that will actually speak to your doubts better than your inactivity, better than just just sitting back and standing back and watching God work in other people's lives. If you really want to experience whether or not what he has said is true or false, step into living it. Step into a relationship with him where where you say, you know what, I don't feel like this will work, but if you say so, Jesus, I I will give it a try. I'll step out of the boat. I'll step onto the water. I'll go out. I'll let the nets down one more time. I'll change the way that I speak. I'll change the way I manage my finances. I'll change the way that I serve other people. I'll change the way that I look at other people and see what God begins to do. My, My third point is this, and, and this is the challenge. We've been waiting for enough faith to follow Jesus. We should be following Jesus to build our faith. Band, if you guys would make your way back up onto the stage, I'm gonna begin to close this thing up. We've been waiting, saying, you know what, when I get more mature, when I have it more together, when I understand more, when I, when I have more money, when I have more time, when I have more of this, then I'll begin to live the way that God has asked me to live. When I have it all together, I want to assure you that's not the way that Jesus calls you. And we might respond and say, you know what? If I had a circumstance like Peter, it would probably be easier for me. And Peter, I'm sure, would say to you today, you think, you think a fish trick is better than what Jesus has given you? You, th- you think a net full of fish, when someone says, hey, go drop that over there, is gonna be more persuasive than what Jesus has done for your current position? I mean, every time you write down the date, you're, you're testifying to the fact that Jesus lived and died. I mean, that's what we set our calendars by now. 
I mean, he gave a promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. He gave you a promise that he would send his spirit to be a counselor and a guide to you, to speak to you and and strengthen you to make a difference in this world. And you think that if some, some extra fish showed up in your net, that that would be more persuasive. God has given you everything you need where you sit today to decide to follow him. God has given you everything you need right where you sit today to obey what he has told you. And in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your unbelief, that's when the evidence will come. It's through the following, through the testing of it. I want to end with what Peter wrote later in his life in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And he wrote this of Jesus that he walked with he saw, that he ate his meals with, that he traveled with. And he said of Jesus, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. And he speaks of the crucifixion here, and he says, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Our sins were carried in his body so that we could be dead to them and experience new life. But there's a step that each one of us has to take. That first step is saying, Jesus, I trust you. That in spite of my brokenness, I know you paid for my sins. So I will trust you for forgiveness. And I will trust you to make a way for me. But I believe that first yes is just the beginning of many more yeses. Yes, I'll let down the nets when it doesn't make sense. Yes, I'll obey you and I understand from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and so my words will change. Whatever yes it is that he's asking for right now, church, I encourage encourage you, take that step. It will build up your faith. And you will see this person of Jesus can be trusted. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your abundant love. God, we will stop putting conditions on our obedience and we will stop with the hesitations, and we will say yes in our unbelief. We will say yes in the middle of our doubt, in the middle of our question, because we know that you are good. Because we know that when we, do, we don't understand, you already see the whole picture. When we don't even know what's being painted yet. And so, Father, we trust you today.